never say stand if you're able after a fellowship meal like that. I almost didn't get up. May I add my words of appreciation for your presence to those earlier expressed by Terry. Some of you are visiting. We are honored that you've come our way. Trust that what we have to say will prove in some way thought-provoking, beneficial in your further study of the Word of God. The theme promised last evening, salvation by grace or by grace only. Now, I confess to you that all that I know about God's grace I learned from the Bible. I have heard grace defined. I have seen grace demonstrated and manifested many times. But basically, saving grace is a matter of instruction. And we're going to note that as time passes the next few moments. You know, it's also been my privilege to observe in my limited study of the Word of God that salvation from sin is by nothing only. Not by God the Father only. Not by His Son, Jesus Christ only. Not by the Holy Spirit only. Not by faith only. Not by works only. Ad infinitum. I mean, you could go on and on. Salvation is by nothing only. Now, having said that, let me say this. The cardinal doctrine, that is the basic teaching of the New Testament, is that salvation is by faith. I believe we all understand that. We all agree with that. But herein lies the problem. There is a deeply religious, morally upright class of people who, when such statements are made, assume that the word only or the word alone is also found in the context. Salvation is by faith only, by faith alone. Now, when that assumption is present, then numerous passages of Scripture in God's Word are abused. Just in passing, for instance, verse 31 of Acts chapter 16. You, of course, remember the setting here. Paul and Silas have uh, been released from the prison by the earthquake. And the jailer said in verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And many put a period right there. That's as far as they go with it. Believe on the Lord, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. The assumption is that all one must do to be saved is simply to believe on the Lord. Back to the scenario. This is the first time an apostle has ever set foot on the continent of Europe. The jailer is a heathen. He knows nothing about Jesus Christ at all. Well, is it true what Paul said? Why, certainly it's true what Paul said. Oh, but I remember that he also said in Romans chapter 10, or oh, about verse 13, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? 
etc. Wait a minute. The salvation is guaranteed. Why, certainly. Whosoever, whether it's a Jew or a Greek, verse 12 informs us, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. No question about that. But of course you couldn't call on someone in whom you didn't believe. And you couldn't believe in someone of whom you'd never heard. And you couldn't hear about someone unless somebody said something. And in this particular instance, it had to be one handpicked, chosen, and sent with the credentials of an apostle to preach the truth. The jailer in Acts 16 is a heathen? Right. He doesn't know anything about Christ? That's correct. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved in thy house? That's true. However, faith cometh of hearing, and hearing by the word of God, which is the 17th verse of that 10th chapter of Romans. So it doesn't stop there. Notice it. And they preached unto him the word of the Lord with all that were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his, a straightway. And he brought them up into his house, set food before them, rejoicing with all his house, having believed in God, through verse 34. When does the record say he believed in God? Well, one thing is certain. He could not have believed in God before he heard about him. That's why Paul and Silas preached to him. But if he had heard the message and rejected it, he would uh, not be known as a believer. No, no. He and his obeyed the instruction thus given. And the record says, when he fed Paul and Silas, he's rejoicing, having believed in God. So the term faith, or salvation by faith, or believe in the Lord and thou shalt be saved, misleads a lot of folk due to misinformation in their background. Their lack of foundational material from the Word of God. Now, the same thing is true when the word grace is employed. And there are some, brethren, very few in number, who seemingly are leaning in that direction. Man has no part, nothing he can do. It's altogether by the grace of God. And I don't want to misrepresent anyone. I think there is a position from whence a man could say, man's salvation is altogether by the grace of God. Why, certainly, certainly. We didn't deserve it, but his unmerited favor provided for it. But to say that man has no part in it, that there is nothing man can do uh, to accept or receive or benefit from the unmerited favor of God, is an error. That's incorrect. So let's notice tonight the source and nature of God's grace. You're familiar with Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul said, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God afore prepared that we should walk in them. And that's through verse 10. Notice verse 8. For by grace, that's God's part, summed up in the word grace, all that God has done in providing for human redemption. For by grace, God's part, 
Have you been saved through faith? That word faith sums up total responsibility on the part of man. Faith must appropriate the benefits supplied by the grace of God. For by grace have you been saved through faith, and that, the antecedent of that, is salvation. It's the free gift of God. Can't earn it. Can't work it out. It's not a matter of simple intellectual acknowledgement of the sonship of Jesus Christ. I say. It's by grace through faith. Didn't originate with me. I would not have had it without the grace of God. But it is mine because I have now by faith appropriated it. Otherwise, all men everywhere would be saved. But that's not the case. And we'll note that a little bit later. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Let's notice several examples of that. Back in the Garden of Eden, you remember. Verse 17, Genesis chapter 2. God, of course, had prepared that perfect state. And in the midst of the garden, he had planted two trees. Tree of life, of which they could eat on a regular basis and live forever. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, Thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now you know the story of Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 6. They ate of the forbidden fruit. But far from slaying Adam and Eve. Oh, don't misunderstand. They were alienated that day. And they became subject to physical death and ultimately died. But not that day. Animals were slain instead. The skins of those animals were used to make clothing to cover their nakedness. And I'm persuaded the blood of those animals was not wasted. Atonement was made. What is this? I mean, these people have violated God's prohibition. He said, the day you do, you'll die. You. That's called grace. And now, of course, from Adam. During the antediluvian period of human history, man grew more and more vile, more and more wicked, more and more ungodly. He ultimately totally rejected God from his knowledge. In chapter 6 at verse 1, men began to multiply upon the face of the ground, and daughters were born unto them. The sons of God, the descendants of Enos, chapter 4 verse 26, who called upon the Lord. Those who call upon the Lord are called the sons of God. Sons of God saw the daughters of men, the descendants of Cain never did call upon the Lord, and thus they had interest pertaining only to this material, physical existence. And as always, trouble ensues. Sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, took unto them wives of all that they chose. The result, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, Every imagination and thought of his heart was only evil, and that continually. Just one thing to do. God said, I'll destroy all in whose nostrils is breathed the breath of life with a great deluge. But you know, verse 8 says there in chapter 6 that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Noah was a righteous man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Perfect in his generations. He didn't have children running around on the streets, didn't know who their father was. We have that today. That was a common thing in the 1656 years 
of the period of human history prior to the great flood. There was no concern for decency. There was no room for genuine love. There was only lust and a burning desire to fulfill it. Now with Noah, he had a wife, three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Perfect in his generations, Noah walked with God. Oh, but notice that statement, verse 8. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. What grace do? Oh, God said, uh, Noah, make thee an ark of gopher wood. Room shalt thou make in the ark. Uh, pitch it within and without with pitch. Uh, three decks or stories. 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Good people, that's a ship, not a boat. 400 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. I've been all over the ocean on a 180-foot minesweeper. I mean, this thing is a ship. Make thee an ark. Wait, wait, wait a minute. The record says that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. That's right. That's exactly right. What does grace do? Oh, grace instructs man in the proper course in life to pursue. You are aware that verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that by faith, Noah, being warned of God concerning things not seen as yet, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. That's correct. By faith? Yes. What did Noah do specifically? Oh, back to Genesis 6 at verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. What does God call that? You just read the commentary. Faith. How could he save his house by faith? Because of the grace of God. God's grace gave the instruction... Moses' faith appropriated the benefits thus supplied, and the blessing was his. What was that statement again in Ephesians 2, verse 8? For by grace, God's part, through faith, have you been saved. That's the way that thing works. In Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God hath appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Isn't that marvelous? No exceptions. No matter how deep into the muck and mire of immorality, ungodliness, and sin you may have sunk, God loves you. You're an immortal soul. You're made in His image and His likeness. And His grace brings salvation to your soul. Someone says, then everyone is going to be saved? No, we noted the other night, didn't we? Matthew 7, 13 and 14, that most men are lost. Enter ye in at the narrow gate, broad as the gate, wide as the way that leadeth unto destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Narrow the gate and straighten the way that leadeth unto life everlasting, and few there be that find it. Most men are lost. Yes. Well, but preacher, you quoted Titus 2, verse 11, that says the grace of God that appeared bringing salvation to all men. That's correct. Well, then why aren't all men saved? Notice it one more time. For by grace, that's God's part. Through faith, God doesn't believe. God knows. Oh, that's man's part. Yeah. By grace, through faith, are you saved. And the reason most men are lost tonight 
as they pay no attention, listen to the whole story. For the grace of God hath appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to the intent of denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a people for his own possession, zealous of good works. Through verse 14. What was that? Listen to it. For the grace of God hath appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. That's what grace does. What is the instruction through which the unmerited favor of God makes salvation available to sinners? Romans 1, we noted this the other night. Verse 16. Not ashamed of the gospel, Paul said. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is revealed a righteousness of God from faith unto faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Through verse 17. What is he saying? Well, simply put, he's saying the gospel is the only power God has to save sinners on the basis of faith. How is it that we have the gospel? For by grace have you been saved through faith. Most men ignore the instruction given by the grace of God. You see, man does, yea, must participate. Man determines whether or not he will be recipient of the benefits supplied by the grace of God. Didn't we say something like that the other night? God has done his part. Everything that can be done. No stone has been left unturned. It's up to me to respond. I need to remember that salvation is by faith. That's the basic teaching of the New Testament. Faith is made manifest in the overt activity of its adherent. Did James say that? Chapter 2, verse 18. Yea, a man will say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith apart from thy works. Pure rhetoric. And that can be done. It's out of the question. Well, then he added, And I, by my works, will show thee my faith. How was it Noah saved his house? By faith. Verse 7, Hebrews 11. Specifically, thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. Why did God give the instruction? That's called grace. What did Noah do about it? He obeyed. What did God call that? Faith. By grace, through faith, are you saved? Could be illustrated a thousand different ways. And with innumerable uh, biblical examples. If, for instance, verse 29 in Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that by faith Israel passed through the Red Sea on dry land. Mm, isn't that marvelous? But let's back up there to Exodus chapter 14 and look that situation over. Under the leadership of Moses, they are coming out of Egypt, and God directed them by a circuitous course and brought them ultimately around up against the Red Sea. And by that time, Pharaoh has, uh, you know, rethought this thing, regrouped his forces, and uh, here they come. They intend either to slay or to bring the Israelites back into bondage. The dust rises in the rear. 
Oh, the people of Israel began to complain. Moses prayed unto God. People in the difficult times of life, there's just one way to look. Because there's help from no other source. Pray to God. God said, stretch out your rod over the sea. And he did. A strong east wind blew all that night in the morning. There is a path of dry land stretching across to the distant shore. Waters congealed on either side. That's something, isn't it? Somebody says, man, I wouldn't hesitate. I'd be a hold it. Hold it. I'm standing there. Slap that water. That's water. I mean, it bounces all over. Stick your finger in it. Pull it out. Ain't no hole. I mean, what's holding that wall of water up there? Huh? Uh, I'd be reluctant. You get about halfway through that thing of water, come together, crush every bone in your body, shoot you 30 feet in the air. Ha, ha, ha. That pressure would get you, man. No, it'd be kind of like those two fellows in the insane asylum. You remember? One of them said to the other, now, we're getting out of here tonight. He said, what are you talking about? He said, you see that little window up there we've never been able to reach? He said, I had a friend smuggle me a flashlight in here today. He said, tonight when it's real dark, he said, I'm going to shine this flashlight up to that little window. He said, I want you to climb that beam. And he said, when you get up there, you can reach down and lift me up and we'll get out of here. That other fellow said, you think I'm crazy? He said, I'd get about halfway up that beam, you'd turn that light out. <laughs> yeah. I'd get about halfway across the Red Sea and... How'd they cross? Trusted God. By faith. Yeah, but uh, they didn't have a path. That's right. Until the grace of God provided it. They didn't deserve it. I mean, the preponderance of them are griping. Brought us out here to die in the wilderness. Here we are over against the Red Sea. Here comes the Egyptians. Man, we're dead. <laughs> we don't stand a chance. We... They had seen the power of God demonstrated at least ten times down in Egypt in a magnificent way. What are they doing? Doing what most of us do. Getting a tight, we gripe. We don't pray to God. We don't trust the Lord. We trust the strength of our own right arm. And complain because don't have an opportunity to exercise it. Friends, we recipients of God's grace beyond verbalization. There is no way to adequately express the goodness of God in His unmerited favor towards sinners such as I. Ought never complain. Sure, there are difficult times. Yes, there are hardships. Uh, there are times it seems things are going to fail and things are going to fall through. There's just one place to go. That's the throne room of God. By faith, Israel passed through the Red Sea on dry land. Yeah. How come the dry land? God separated the waters. Wall on either side. You heard about the school teacher who was an atheist, did you not? And of all things, teaching the third grade, if you can imagine. And this story came up. And she was telling it to the students. She said, of course, that's written in the Bible just to be fancy and to be, you know, outstanding. She said, it's not really that way. She said, actually, that's a misinterpretation. That should have been the Reed Sea rather than the Red Sea. They were actually up in the shallows, right to where it joined the shore, and just reeds were growing, and the water was about six inches deep. 
And so they stretched a point and they said they went across on, on dry land. A little boy in the back of the room said, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! Made the teacher mad as the proverbial wet hen. She said, Young man, what do you mean? He said, God drowned the whole Egyptian army in six inches of water. <laughs> That's a bigger miracle than walking through on dry land, isn't it? Well, those boys must have been stupid. I mean, are they walking a little bit low? You know what? Nah, friends. When God said it, you can believe it. Read in your Bible, read where God said he did something, just read on, he did it. When you're reading your Bible, it says God's going to do something, just read on, he'll do it. When you're reading your Bible, God tells you to do something, stop, go do it, and come back and read some more. It's true. Oh, there's no question. God's grace has thus provided. Do you recall the statement in Numbers 21 and the narration that is there given they journeyed from Mount Har by way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way they murmured against God and against Moses wherefore if you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness there's no bread and there's no water and our soul loathes we contend we despise this light bread the manna that God reigned miraculously six days a week for 40 years in the wilderness? The audacity, the ingratitude. And because they murmured, the record says, God sent fiery serpents among them. They bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now when it's too late for a lot of folks, typical of us, the rest of them came to Moses and said, We've sinned against Jehovah and against thee. Pray unto God that he take away the fire of serpents from among us. Moses, always faithful, prayed to God. God said to Moses, Make thee a serpent out of brass. Put it on a standard in the midst of the camp, and it'll come to pass if a man is bitten. When he looks to the serpent of brass, he'll live. Moses made a snake out of a piece of brass, hung it on a pole in the middle of the camp. And verse 9 says, It came to pass if a man was bitten, when he looked to the serpent of brass, he lived. Isn't that amazing? In the first place, they deserved to die. They have no appreciation for the goodness of God. They have no regard for His power. They are not concerned that He has protected and provided for them. All they know to do is gripe every time things turn just a little bit negative. They didn't deserve it. Yes, but God's grace always supplies. That's marvelous. But it doesn't stop there. For by grace, through faith, have you been saved. If some people there were disposed, as many are in our age, you could have gone over in the corner of the camp to the tent of a friend, through the flat back, Bated breath, he's not breathing any deeper than this, eyes already glazed. And you say, friend, you don't have to die. There's a remedy. Step out here and look at this brass snake on the... He says, snake salvation? Well, the very idea, the God whom I serve can save me right here in this tent just as readily and as easily as he can out there looking at that piece of brass. Well, the very idea... Now, you know what my next question would be? Where do you want to be buried? He's a dead man. Now, wait a minute. Someone says, Preacher, you're saying he has to look at that brass snake to be healed. He actually has more faith than you do. Because he believes that God is able to save him right here in this tent. 
as easily and as readily as if he were not there looking at that piece of brass. Now you see, that's where we make a mistake. He has absolutely no faith at all. He is what would be called an infidel. No faith in God at all. Well, now someone says, just a minute. He believes in God. He believes God can hold it. Faith cometh of hearing and hearing by the word of God Almighty. And God Almighty said, if a man's bitten, when he looks to the serpent of brass, he live. And those who looked lived, those who didn't died. That's heaven for you. That's hell for you. The consequences of just the glance. Acceptance or rejection. Friends, salvation is by the grace of God. Provided man by faith will obey the instruction given. Yeah, but somebody says, what's the connection between looking at a piece of brass and curing snake bite? None, as far as I know. Hey, can you imagine? You know, you're down on the creek or the lake or wherever you do this kind of thing, you know, and you know, kind of wiggle that thing, got to be some big bass in here somewhere, man. And all of a sudden, man, one of those Tennessee big mouth jobs hangs that thing and it bends that rod and that line whistling through the water. That old boy jumps out out there and he's giving it. But about that time, he spits that lure out and you fall back and you hear bacon frying and something stings you on the wrist. And you look back and that rattler has 12 rattles and a button. He's as big as your forearm in the middle. And he hits you right next to that big vein. Throw that rod and reel in a lake, go get your buddy. Now, listen to me. Your buddy will kill you faster than that snake. Slow him down. Slow him down. Cars are more deadly than rattlesnakes. But get to the doctor's office immediately and you run into the doctor's office and say, Doc, I got to have help. He said, what's the matter? said, that rascal hit me right there. And man, you're swollen already to your shoulder, shrieks halfway to your elbow. And he said, boy, he got you good. Then he said, sit down right there just a minute. He scrambles around and bang, 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 bang. What are you doing, Doc? He said, I'm making a brass snake. You can get me out away from this quack and get me to somebody who knows something about anti-venom serum. This man will let me die while he's making a brass snake. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Get me to somebody who knows what he's doing. Well, isn't that the way you'd react? Well, certainly. You would look at a brass snake. Your snake, by has nothing to do with it. Well, somebody says, why did those people look? Listen to me one time. God Almighty said to. Oh, friend, that puts it in an entirely different light. For by grace have you been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. God made the provision. What am I going to do about it? I don't know about you. I'm going to look at that snake. <laughs> yes, sir. If he gives that instructions again. I mean, I'm going to do what God said. Because salvation is not in consequence of my ability to discern and my uh, senses, though my perception may be keen at times, that has nothing to do with it. Faith cometh of hearing, and hearing of the word of God. You remember Joshua chapter 6? They had crossed the river Jordan at flood stage. I mean, that thing's a raging torrent. It rips that valley out in the rainy season. Priest put his foot in the water, Stopped. Backed up. 
to the village of Adam. And I mean Israel crossed the river Jordan into the land of Canaan in the flooded valley on dry land. And they pitched their tents at a place called Gilgal. The reason it was called Gilgal, God had them to circumcise all of the males of the second generation. Those who left out of Egypt were circumcised. Those born in the wilderness were not circumcised. And so he had them circumcised. And he said, Today have I rolled away the sins of Egypt from you. Rolling. Gilgal. That's the meaning of it. Pitch their tents. The first city they coveted was the high-walled, well-fortified, armed city of Jericho. And an angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua. And to me, this is an instance of one of the greatest acts of bravery that you'll find in the Bible. Yeah, I remember David strode into the vale of Elah and slew a giant with a sling. I remember that. That's great. Joshua walked up to this angel who had a sword in his hand. And he said, friend or foe, watch this. I'm going to take you on if you're an enemy. Friend or foe. Oh, he identified himself as the angel of Jehovah. Joshua removed his shoes and bowed down. And God said to Joshua, this day have I given the city into your hands. Didn't hesitate there. He said, arrange your men in this order. The armed men, seven priests blowing ram's horns, the Ark of the Covenant being appropriately borne by the priests, and the nucleus bringing up the rear. Now he said, in that order, march your people around this city one time each day for six days, and on the seventh day, march them around seven times. Let the priests blow long on the ram's horns, and let the people give a great shout, and the walls will fall down flat, and every man will go up before them. Now you just... Notice, give attention to the scene here. Joshua is a warrior. Joshua is a military man. I mean, you, you don't take cities, especially high-walled, fortified cities, like that. He had a diversionary tactic probably in mind. Maybe a big battering ram with 20 men on each side already arranged. And... What did Joshua do? Oh, he didn't say another word. He just arranged his men in that order. And here they went around that city. Now, I can just see some of those fellows like many of us the next morning. I've got a blister on the ball of my foot, size of a silver dollar. I ain't marching. Get in line. Shut up, boy. We're marching. Isn't that great? Move, man. We're going to get the work done. This is what God said do. This is what we're going to do. Six days and on the seventh, they marched around seven times. And the priest blew long on the ram's horns. The people give a, gave a great shout. And the walls fell down flat. They took that city and didn't lose a man. Not a man. How'd they take that city? Oh, verse 30. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been compassed about for seven days. They did it by faith. Well, wait a minute. It wasn't by faith only. Why, certainly not. Marching, shouting, and blowing, friend. That won't knock a wall down. You can try it anywhere you want to. It just doesn't work. But grace works. Grace works. By grace through faith. By grace on God's part, through faith on the part of Joshua and the children of Israel, 
the walls of Israel came, walls of Jericho came tumbling down. Isn't that marvelous? Friends, just a word or two. We don't deserve to live, let alone to be saved in the bliss, the beauty, the grandeur, and the perfection of heaven. But you know, we have the gospel because of the unmerited favor of God. He let his son die, raised him from the dead, recorded every word that you and I need by which to order our lives to be pleasing in the sight of God. You recall that statement there, and we've noted it a number of times already, verse 8, Ephesians 2, for by grace have you been saved through faith. You ever wonder why that statement was made? Let's see if we can find out. That was said to the Ephesians, bear in mind, he was writing to the church in Ephesus. In chapter 1, at verse 13, he said, In whom ye also, having heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom ye also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Chapter 1 of the same epistle, in verse 13, says they heard the gospel and they believed it. Yes. Did the Ephesians do anything else? Well, in Acts chapter 20, you remember, Paul and Miletus, according to verse 17, sent over and called unto himself the elders of the church at Ephesus, dealing with the same congregation of people. And he said, among other things, as he made the speech to them, he <clears throat> said, I taught you publicly and from house to house, teaching repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, you taught these Ephesians to repent? Why, certainly. Well, did they, did they do anything else? Oh, in Acts chapter 19, Paul is in Ephesus. And verse 18 tells us that many that believed came confessing their deeds. They, they did what? They came uh, confessing. Well, did these Ephesians do anything else? You remember in the latter part of chapter 18, you have an eloquent man, mm, speaking, teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, knowing only the baptism of John, Priscilla, and Aquila. That's the way the order is found in the American Standard. I believe it's Aquila and Priscilla, husband and wife in the King James, but be that as it may, took Apollos aside and taught him the way of the Lord more accurately. And when he left Ephesus to go into Corinth, he had the support of the brethren. But now, chapter 19 begins this way. Paul, having passed through the upper country, it came to Ephesus. There's the place. And he found certain disciples, and he said unto them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we, We've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Spirit given. Oh, he knew there's something wrong with their baptism. He said, Under what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. Oh, he explained, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him who is to come, that is, on Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And there was about twelve of them. Would Paul require something of these twelve Ephesians that he did not require all of the Ephesians? Why, certainly not. What did the Ephesians do? They heard the gospel, they believed it, they repented, they confessed, they were baptized. What Paul say about them? Saved by grace through faith. Verse 8, chapter 2. You see, that's the good news of human redemption. Death, burial, resurrection of Christ. 
Our death to the love and practice of sin, our burial with the Lord in which the old body of sin is done away, our resurrection as new creations in Christ to walk in newness of life. Friend, that's by the grace of God. And tonight, you by faith can appropriate the benefits. Would you do it? Won't you give your life to the Lord? Won't you reach up and take hold of what God has made such sacrifice to provide? Jesus loves you. Every word of his. As they were beating him, scourging him, mocking him, spitting upon him. As they nailed him to the cross, as he hung there, every action, every word just said, I love you. I don't know how it's going to be in the day of judgment. You know, if we aren't careful, we think in terms of vengeance. We think in terms, God never thinks in terms of vengeance. Never thinks in terms of getting even. What people are going to learn who have spurned the grace of God is that it was his love. Not his wrath. His love that they've spurned. Did all of this made all of the sacrifice, provided for their instruction, and they rejected it. Pure love. And they've rejected it. It would be better if indeed they were going to be lost eternally anyway, if they had been running from something that could have harmed them. But they weren't. They were running into that which could destroy them, and from that which could save them. The love of God. Are you here tonight out of Christ? Friend, there's no reason for being out of Christ. You won't find a greater, more opportune time to give your life in humble obedience to the Lord than right now. Why not come? Make your wishes known while together we stand and sing. Amen.